transform your business with Microsoft Azure. Easily move workloads with Azure Migrate and Modernize and build new AI solutions with Azure Innovate. Access comprehensive resources, expert assistance, and cost optimization tools. Visit aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. That's aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings. Make sure to use that link to let them know the podcast sent you and support the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. You are listening to this. I hope it is the year 2024. I hope we all made it and you had a nice holiday and welcome to a new year. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined by my partner in crime, Ryan Donovan, the editor of our blog and maestro of our newsletter. Ryan, we're doing the last episode. We're two days. It's Thursday yeah, now. Right. Friday's the last day before our big break. Feels good. That's right. Got, got, uh, got bells uh, jingling out there. Bells are jingling. So I thought we would do a little year in review mm-hmm. of the podcast. Some big things happened this year. You could say that, yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like a momentous year in the history of software development. Mm-hmm. I was looking back at things, just trying to get a sense of the history as we were working on a piece. And the transformer, which is like the architecture that has supercharged neural networks and and helped so many folks make so much progress, not the only thing, but one of the most important things, was created in 2017. Mm -hmm. And then a little company nobody had really heard of or thought too much about called OpenAI released GPT-1 in 2018. And most people didn't care. Yeah. It didn't really make much noise. Some people noticed, whatever, you know, it was a thing, but it wasn't a big deal. And then in 2019, they released GPT-2 again. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. think I remember each time, like you'd see some tweets, some people would show things off. You might play around with it a little, I remember, but it, it didn't become yeah. something that's like, oh, well, this is going to change the way we work or like, you know, this is revolutionary technology. I saw an app that was like AI Dungeon. So you could go yeah. on a you know text adventure that had anything. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you could make a little dungeon crawl. You could write a short story, but often it would go off the rails pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And it certainly wasn't like answering questions. It was like, start a poem and I'll finish it. Or mm-hmm. like, start a story and I'll finish it for you, right? right? So then in November of 2022, ChatGPT comes out. I think you and I were already playing around with some things that felt kind of revolutionary a little before that. Maybe, which is yeah. mid-journey and stable mm. diffusion, right? You were running yeah. your own instance. So yeah. Gen AI on the image side, I think people are already starting to feel like, wow, this is pretty world-changing. It didn't capture the world's attention, I don't think. It didn't go viral, but mm-hmm. it was clearly something, you know, we were talking to ourselves. Yeah. Are we going to be hiring illustrators going forward? Like, are right. we going to need an art department? Like, how are things going to change, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it it sort of goes to show that you can have very cool technology, but until you have a good app or interface to it, nobody's going right. to jump on it. I like that. So that's important because like one of the things I think that m- made ChatGPT a success, and maybe if it hadn't been, you mm-hmm. know, we wouldn't have made this turn this year. We would have made it in a different year. Well, first of all, it got bigger. You know, every, right. every time it got an order of magnitude bigger and better just because mm-hmm. they were able to. But then they spent a lot of time afterwards investing in reinforcement learning with human feedback. So they fine-tuned the model basically to be a great chat partner. 
And I think that paid a lot of dividends as well, that it wasn't like the raw model by any means, Mm -hmm. that it was a model that had been optimized to be your chat buddy. Yeah. And I mean, having that that human in the loop has has been sort of key to AI up to Mm -hmm. this point. You know, a lot of people would train AI on human tagged data sets going through things like Mechanical Turk to to like make sure that they had human input on what, what was a frog and what was not a frog. Right. And so, yeah, coding assistants inside the IDE were already out, but have become more and more prevalent. And if you believe the statistics put out mm-hmm. by the folks who run some of the largest, you know, IDEs or code repositories, you know, upwards now of 70% of, you know, code that's being committed has some AI generated code in it, right? Whether that's just an autocomplete at the end or a full line or a full function, we don't know. But, you know, it's becoming ubiquitous, I would argue. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just getting easier just to do the little stuff. But I've, you know, in some of our pieces, especially some of the recent ones, I've been seeing a lot of folks now that they've had time to to play with the sort of AI code generators, saying it's not actually the the productivity hack that it it was. It's you know, mm. it's still wrong a lot of times. It right. still takes a lot of time to get the prompt right. So if you're doing just like you know the dumb stuff type definitions, whatever, right? then it works fine. But for the big things, maybe less so. Right. Yeah, I like what you're saying. And I think there's a little bit more to it. We had a great episode with Matt Billman, CEO of Netlify, who's obviously very tuned in to how a lot of developers are working. And he said that they use it to, it was something where like they would come back to it every time they wrote code. It wasn't the code itself, but it was something adjacent to it. Mm. And similarly, Ben, of dev two, he's like, yeah, I use it to write test, you know, mm-hmm. like it's good enough for that. So, you know, like you said, maybe it's not writing the code that's going to commit, that's going to prod that's, you know, out there, but maybe it's good enough to, you know, handle your code comments or mm-hmm. write some of the tests for you, which is a nice productivity hack in that sense. Yeah. I mean, this has been the year of AI. If folks in the tech right. industry aren't saying that's the, the sort of like overall theme then they are in a niche area. Yeah. You're probably sick of hearing us talk about this. <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, it's the new hotness and there's a lot of um, possibilities there. You know, I think people, as they're exploring the possibilities, narrowing down what it can and can't do. Right. Some of the hype, some of the shine is going off of it, but then it's becoming a tool that actually people can use right. and use in specific ways. Right. Here it is. I mentioned this to Matt Billman, and he said they use it and they open source it to make storybook components. Like you make a new component, now you got to make the storybook, different examples. So now, you know, just does it for you. You wrote it and then I give you the storybook story with the components. So that's how they use it. And he says, yeah, it's totally accelerated how they work, which is a good thing. But within that, right, you know, security risk, privacy risk, maybe not letting it too close to the core of what you're doing, like keeping it on the periphery, writing the test, writing the storybook components, stuff like that. Let's talk about two things that didn't break through or that had a bad year. I love it. Crypto, blockchain, <laughs> had a rough year. I'm not going to yeah. write it off forever. There are still true believers. For sure. If somebody creates a blockchain application or service that is helping people, maybe that's cross-border transfers, more power to them. Mm-hmm. But obviously a very rough year to see you know the largest players collapse and a lot of the business turn out to be fraud and a huge amount of developer energy went into that for a long time. And so that's now shifted to new areas. 
So I think with, with that one, it never had that killer app, right? It never had the chat GPT to have it break through to like, oh, this is this is what you use it for, Correct. right? Good point. And you know, I was, I was never a huge fan of it just because I think the financial end of it, it was, it always seemed like it was based on speculation or mm-hmm. getting around uh, governmental control of money. It had the opposite of a killer app. Yeah. It was always like, now it's going to take two or three steps and be a little bit slower and more expensive to right. transfer. I mean, it's, it's killer app was ransomware, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very good at that. Yeah, we shouldn't say it's not being deployed regularly in the real world to do things. Um, It's back to its Silk Road roots. All right. And then the other thing that I I would say is quantum computing. This is an area where we have people on the show, you know, once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. It's always super fascinating. You know, they talk about how they're doing demos and trying things in the real world. But I think we've yet to see it break through to something that, you know, exists outside of a laboratory. Mm-hmm. It hasn't become part of anybody's workload or tools or every day. And certainly, I don't think it has captured the imagination of the mainstream, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was that show devs that sort of took a swing at having quantum computing in a realistic and speculative manner. I mean, realistic, maybe, right. I don't know. But did talk to um, Dr. Janelle Garcia at the IBM Quantum Computing Lab and asked her about it, if that show you know, was at all realistic. And she said, you know, Mm -hmm. simulating nature. So a little bit, but I think that's, that's a thing that is very far away. It's still in the sort of like, look at this cool research project. Right. Let's not discuss any products specifically, companies specifically, but another year in which I would say the dream of VR, AR kind of went nowhere, did not become more mainstream have not found the killer app right and products that were introduced were met with at least as much skepticism as excitement let's put it that way yeah i mean i think folks were trying the vr work productivity boosters and you know maybe maybe you can find you know a hologram room where it feels like you're in office (laughs) but uh wearing a really heavy uncomfortable hat all day so i can you know, be bothered by my coworkers constantly doesn't sound great. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the sales pitch we're looking for. So another thing that, you know, I wanted to talk about, well, I'll talk about the things that excited me this year. Maybe then you could talk about the things that excite you. Um, I'm very excited and interested to see to what degree trying to make AI more like humans Mm -hmm. will produce positive results and improve them and make them more useful, and to what degree we've passed that point. I watched a talk with some of the people who have been most influential in the field. Mm-hmm. Jeff Hinton, who's like considered the godfather of AI, the head of DeepMind, the chief scientist of OpenAI. They had a conversation at MIT. And a lot of them said, we wouldn't be here without mm-hmm. the brain. We were inspired by it. We bet on it. We went this, we took this architecture. But we may have gotten everything out of it that we can at this point. Hmm. From here on out, we may optimize in a way that works better for computers and data. And that will be the path that you know takes us to the next level of intelligence or functionality or usability or value you know, hmm. out of these things. Not you know, continuing to try to get closer and closer to what a biological brain is like. Hmm. So I'm very curious to see which way that goes. What we've seen basically for the last five years is like, or maybe even longer than that, it's like 
some people keep saying, all right, you know, to get to like human level intelligence, to get to AGI or something, we're going to need to come up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. And other people say, mm, no, I'm just going to do more data and more compute and get back to you. <laughs> and that, that just keeps working. So yeah. <laughs> until that stops working, you know, they're going to go that way. I had a conversation yesterday with a professor mm-hmm. who, along with Andrew Ng, created the deep learning course at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And he said something to me that I thought was like, where did you get me? He's like, you know, as everybody says, by 2030, we'll be out of data. Sure. Like it'll have trained on all the high quality data. So mm-hmm. at that point, we're, we might have to go a different way. And I was just like, whoa, that's a weird thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, are people going to be paid to write novels that just go into, you know, large right. language models? Right. <laughs> yeah. If you allow it to jack in and, and, and view your dreams, there you, go. you can make a nice side hustle with that. <laughs> so I'm interested to see, yeah, like how far we get following the brain. I would say one thing that kind of pulls in that direction is Google's latest big model, Gemini, mm-hmm. is multimodal, and they taught it to understand text, audio, video, and images in a way that kind of resembles our senses. Mm-hmm. They're anthropomorphizing it to a degree in its, right. to try to get it to understand the world and be useful. And you know, the next step of that is embodying it in a robot like what Tesla has, getting mm-hmm. that feedback as well. And so people are going to go in that direction to what mm-hmm. degree that will take us to something interesting remains to be seen. So that's what I've been interested in and excited mm-hmm. about. That and the fact that computers can now actually read your mind, that that's not science fiction, <laughs> that that's like something they can actually do. Yeah. At this time, it's mostly useful for like, you know, medical patients who have a serious issue that requires a brain implant, mm-hmm. but we are on the path towards some pretty freaky stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine that one ending well. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite thought about that one is like, what if you had to sign like a prenup that said, if you ever got divorced mm-hmm. and you went to court, you had to wear this thing so they could just like see right into your mind. Like you couldn't yeah. lie to them. <laughs> they would only look directly at your thoughts. I think there's literally a Black Mirror episode about that very thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what are you excited about? What have you been thinking about? What gets you excited? I'm excited about a couple of sort of specific use cases. I'm excited about, you know, being able to take a PDF and ask it questions. And like, you know, maybe at some point part of somebody publishes a book, you can just ask Mm -hmm. the book questions. Yeah. And those big ones that have like, you know, hundreds of sources, maybe you can pull from those sources. I think that would be a great way to improve your learning, improve the information given by that book, so long as everything is, is accurate. Yeah. We're getting closer and closer to the, you know, the imagined AI assistant in her, where you mm-hmm. say like, read me my email, you know, summarize this, mm-hmm. go delete that. Like people are homebrewing that right now. Yeah. You know, you can build that. It's not quite as capable as that AI, but it's, it's getting closer and closer. And I guess one of the things that you wrote, I think, I don't know if it was this year or last year that was most popular mm-hmm. was the one about academic papers about, you know, computer mm-hmm. science and, and the value of reading them. And it would be cool to have something where it's like, Every day you wake up and you got this RSS feed and you're like, can you explain this paper to me in like, you know, three minutes or less? Like, what do I need mm-hmm. to know? And like, what, what are the most interesting, like salient pieces of this? Right. And explain it to me like, you know, at a level that I can understand. And then, you know, it tells you that. That's, that seems like a cool Yeah, who else is talking about this? Yeah. Yeah, who disagrees with this idea? Mm. Yeah, I like that. I would love to have a feed of translated international news that's, you know, here's what's mm. happening in this particular neighborhood. 
according to like right. very specific sources. Like what's the right. city council in, you know, <laughs> somewhere in Thailand? What what are they arguing about? Right. Just because you're curious, you're saying like when you need to travel there or like as a way of viewing larger current events. I, I think as a way of, yeah, larger current events. I always love the, there's a idea called the astronaut effect. And I think there was a site around it that just took YouTube videos that had default names that were very short and sort of played them one after the other. And it was all just, you know, people's little videos of their lives, right? Like here's right. Uh, somebody dancing at a wedding in Saudi Arabia. Here's somebody on a beach in Italy. Here's somebody's kids in South America. And it was like over and over. And you get this sort of warm glow of the aggregate mm. of humanity. The yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. But I, I think one of the other things I'm excited about is people using the sort of generative AI output to make weird things that you can't make otherwise, right? Like mm. there's something, I forget who said it, but the defining feature of any medium is its flaws, right? You, you see mm -hmm. people duplicating lens flares and sort of fuzz and distortion from VHS tapes. Right. So I think people using the, the weird, creepy flaws that AI-generated art has is sort of an interesting development for it. Yeah. I will say to that point, Sony uh, has a very prestigious photography contest that they run every year. And this year it was won by a German artist who then returned the prize and mm. said, this is not real. This is AI generated. Mm. And I made this as a, as a provocateur to like, right. you know, let you know that, you know, you may not be able to tell the difference anymore. And also that I think this is a new art form. Mm -hmm. It should have its own category and that people can get, you know, good at in their own way. So that was pretty interesting to see that. Yeah. And I think some of the constraints that people are able to put on generative AI, like ControlNet, which has, I know it's produced some of those where you can have text and it sort of embeds it into an image, or there's one with a spiral in a medieval village. Mm -hmm. Those are really cool. I guess, you know, the last thing that I was thinking about, which is a little bit challenging, but also maybe exciting is like, to what degree, you know, this AI are really going to disrupt mm. the way the cognitive class works, you know, the industrial revolution changed the way people do physical labor and, you know, large scale industry mm -hmm. forever. As we build more and more intelligent digital systems, you know, at what point are they really going to change the way, quote unquote, white collar workers, you know, do their business. And this Stanford professor who I chatted with yesterday said something I thought was interesting, which is that, you know, what will accelerate is the half-life of skills. Mm -hmm. You'll have to learn new skills more often, mm -hmm. but you'll be able to do that in a more targeted way because you'll have this sort of second brain sure. always with you. And I think that's especially relevant for developers. I think I read a paper once that said the software industry is of all industries, one where you have to learn new skills most often mm -hmm. because new programming languages become popular, new frameworks, you know, you move from mainframes to internet to cloud. Now, you know, AI, vector databases, you got to learn this new stuff to keep up with the times. And that, you know, can be quite challenging, but it's also, yeah, quite exciting. Indeed. Uh, we live in interesting times, right? We live in interesting times, cursed. Blessed. <laughs> All right, everybody, 
that is it for us. I am saying goodbye to the old year and saying hello to you in the new year. Hope you're having a good one. I have a great lifeboat to kick off the new year. Awarded yesterday to Cornelius, spelled C-O-R-N-3-L-I-U-S. An answer from Cornelius got a score of 20 or more on a question that had a score of negative three or less. This question was saved from the dustbin of history. Cornelius knows how to create spoiler text. Thank you, Cornelius. No spoilers here. And you've helped over 65,000 people, of course. That's a lot of folks. So we appreciate you coming on the network, spreading a little knowledge, and congrats on your lifeboat badge. As always, I am Ben Popper. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. You can shoot us an email with questions or suggestions for the show, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show or you're feeling good because it's New Year, leave us a rating and a review. It helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can reach out to me at, at x at rthordonovan. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon.